Beloved, we all stumble in many ways. That's from our Lord's brother, James, chapter 3, right at the beginning. We all stumble in many ways. We also often cause each other to stumble in many ways. We all stumble in many ways. We're sinners and we're full of sin. And our God is working that out of us day by day, week by week, Lord's day by Lord's day, prayer by prayer, sermon by sermon. We all stumble in many ways. We're sinners. Christ came to, not to the healthy, but to the sick. Not to those who are whole, but to those who need fixing, who have problems. We all stumble in many ways. However, we also often cause each other to stumble in many ways. And I think that here is what our passage is about. The way in which we consider one another, particularly in the church, among the people of God, and making sure that we're judging ourselves so that we're not causing others to stumble. Look at verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. It's an interesting translation, I think, by the English Standard Version for a few ways. First of all, there's a pun right there at the beginning that says, basically, don't judge others, judge yourself. Right? Your judgment shouldn't be toward others in the body of Christ over if they're exercising their freedoms and if they should really be doing that. Or, from the freedom side, if those, those curmudgeons over there looking jaundiced-eyed at me because here I am in a restaurant drinking a beer or whatever the occasion might be. Right? There's this, the side on about freedom. It says we're free in Christ and, and we're, we're, we're free to live in that freedom and, and rejoice. And others say, I'm not so sure about that freedom. That's, that's slippery slope to sin and problems. Paul says, in that context within the church, and of course, I'll say it just to begin with, and I'll probably say it a few other times, we're not talking about issues of sin. That's not what's being talked about here in Romans 14. If a brother is sinning, then you approach him based upon the sin. You rebuke him, and if he repents, you forgive him. We've talked about some of that in education. Now. We're not talking about issues of sin here. Okay? That's clear. The Bible is clear in talking about how we approach one another in, 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 in sin, or if, if one's in sin and so on. This is, these are issues that can lead to sin in the congregation, but the issues themselves, we're free to go this way or that. We can partake or not partake. We can be involved or not be involved. We're free to engage in these things, not as a matter of sin, because they're not sin, but they can become sinful in a number of ways. One of the ways they can become sinful is when we judge one another. When we despise one another in the church, that makes our freedom into sin. We use it as an occasion for sin. Or even it takes our conscience and the, the things that we're tender about and can turn that into sin as well. In our passage here, the stronger brother, that is the one who understands the freedom that he has in Christ, is the one cautioned to take care of the weaker brother. But I think in certain ways the weaker brother has an admonition to to see to the stronger brother as well in their own ways. More on that later. Anyway, there's a pun here in verse 13. Don't judge one another. Judge yourself. And judge yourself in such a way that you purpose never to put a stumbling block. In front of your brother. Our job, as stated here, is not to judge each other in the church. And that's, that's one thing here in the 
Columbia Bible Presbyterian Church, but it can extend right here to our brothers and sisters at Bethany Lutheran. Or around the corner and down here to those wonderful, warm-hearted Baptists. Or wherever else. The body of Christ is all around. And we need to learn not to judge one another or despise one another within the body of Christ as well. It's our job not to judge one another. Not to be critical of each other. But to be critical of ourselves. And put it in the second person. Your job is not to be critical of other Christians. It's to be critical of yourself. A self-criticism, looking at oneself honestly and faithfully. We are to criticize ourselves, be hard on ourselves, but be kind and faithfully considerate to other Christians. We're to be hard on ourselves in judgment, but kind and considerate in judgment of others. Now this can move into a situation where it has everybody in the body of Christ kind of kowtowing and and really bowing down to anything that makes anybody feel uncomfortable in any way. I'm sure you understand what I mean. Something of the tyranny of the constantly offended. We don't want that. And I don't think that's what the scripture recommends. Everything's on the level then of, of in this context of, of Romans. The weaker brother who doesn't have the conscience to be able to do things and everyone's wrapped into living their lives at that level is not how it is. You live your life before the Lord. And he even says that in passage here. You know, keep your, keep your faith between you and the Lord. Don't sit there and put it in someone's face in congregation, in fellowship. Right? Your freedom that is a, is a stumbling block or potentially a stumbling block to them. You don't throw it in their face. But you still live your life and you, you love the people around you such that you're critical of yourself. But you're kind and considerate toward those in the body of Christ around you. Now, the words used right here in verse 13, the ESV has stumbling block. I'll read it again here. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on, therefore, let us not pass judgment on anyone any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block, there's the first word, or hindrance in the way of a brother. The word stumbling block here is simple enough, a cause for stumbling, a cause for tripping. Now, a snare to trip somebody up, or even if you're like me, you can just be walking along a perfectly flat surface, like a gym floor, and still catch your toe and eat it, right? Or potentially, you know, fall or something. It's like, there's nothing there to trip me, but I still tripped. Okay, well, now put something there to trip you, that's a stumbling block. So some of us don't even need a stumbling block to stumble, literally speaking or physically speaking. But that's the idea. The literal meaning is something that causes you to trip. It gets under your toe when you're walking and it blows you off course and it, it knocks you knocks you over. The figurative meaning is just that, but in the spiritual and relational realm, our, our, our relationship to God, we can cause each other to stumble. We can trip each other up. We can be a stone over which we trip and fall. So figuratively, it's a cause for becoming unsettled or faltering in faith. And we're... That's something we're supplying to another Christian, causing them to be unsettled or tripping them up in their faith, losing their spiritual footing. Christian, we don't want that. We don't want to do that one to another. Quite the opposite, right? We want to build each other up in the faith, not cause each other to stumble over the stumbling block of our own actions, whether it's pursuing our own freedoms and pleasures or trying to be faithful to the Lord and, 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 and not sin, which we should all be doing. I think we should all be doing all of that. 
so we can cause one another to stumble. As an interesting side note in Romans chapter 9, Jesus is called a stumbling block. He is the stone of stumbling. And what does that mean there in Romans 9? Who's stumbling over Jesus to their perdition, to their damnation? The unbelieving Jews. Jesus is the stone that came and the stone that the builders rejected. Who has become the chief of the corner. But he is a stumbling stone and a rock of offense to those who will not believe. The second word, the English Standard Version translates, hindrance. We can understand that very easily, the word hindrance, and that works well. The word in Greek is scandalon, which I, by the way, spelled wrong. Uh, that's a little note there I put. It should be S-K-A-N-D-A-L-O-N. I think I spelled it wrong in, your, in the notes and the bulletin. The word there is scandalon, and the sermon title comes from that, scandalon in kingdom life. Literally, it's a device to catch something alive. It's a trap. Uh, you want to catch something alive and keep it, trap it. So the hindrance idea is the binding and keeping of, of something is the kind of the literal meaning of that. Figuratively, it means an enticement or a temptation to sin. An enticement or a temptation to sin. Young's literal translation offers an offense. An offense. And Darby says, I like this one the most, a fall trap. A fall trap. Something you fall into a trap scene and you can't get out. Okay? We don't want that when it comes to our spiritual lives one with another. We don't want to knock each other off course, unsettle, stumble one another. Nor do we want to entice one another or hinder one another in our service to the Lord, or growth in godliness at all. Right? But quite the opposite. So therefore, as we come to this text, we think, well, there's a contrast between purposefully building up the church, purposefully edifying the people of God, and, whether purposeful or not, causing to stumble or tempting our brothers into sin. Right? Those are two clearly different options. One is to build up in Christ. And the other one ends up, whether we mean it or not, and I think oftentimes we don't mean it. We're quite oblivious, oftentimes, to our our own decisions and how they impact other people. But what we're talking about here, though, is being purposeful in it. I'll say, not just my own kids, but anyone who will listen, generally, uh, when they say, I didn't mean to do that. I say, well, you hurt your sister. Well, I didn't mean to. I say, well, it doesn't mean if you meant, it doesn't matter if you meant to, you did. And in the future, you have to purpose not to. It's not enough just to say, I didn't mean it. You've got to mean not to, right? So in this case, it's just the same thing. I didn't mean to make my brother stumble. I didn't mean to lay a, lay a stumbling stone in front of him. I didn't mean to trip him up and entrap him. Good. But let's purpose not to do those things. Have it as a positive purpose to build up our brothers in Christ Jesus, not to lay stumbling blocks or hindrances in front of them. Now one of the things, especially when it comes to this kind of Christian liberty and the things in Christ we have freedom to do and enjoy, and then this, you know, on the other, on the other side, um, those who are, you know, have more scruples and aren't so sure about that. One of the things that goes on there is, is we think, especially on the, the kind of freedom liberty side, that it's all about my comfort and what I want to do. I have a right to do this, don't I? But that's the wrong question to ask, Christian. It's not about your rights and your, your particular fulfillment or pleasure. And it's, I, I, I preach to you exactly what I preach to myself here. It's not about our comfort, but it's certainly about the other people. 
in the body of Christ, serving them with the power that we're given, with the freedom that we're given, even with the scruples that we have, to love one another and serve one another, not judging each other, but judging ourselves so that we purpose to grow and build the body of Christ, not to lay hindrances and stumbling blocks in front of our brothers and sisters. So judge yourselves. Are you purposing to build up the body of Christ in your life, day by day? Are you purposing to do that? And that, of course, applies right in your family, your husband, your wife, your children. It applies right here in the corporate worship. It applies when we get on the phone and connect one with another and spend our lives together and love each other. But, of course, it also goes out from there to our neighbors and, and friends. Are you purposing to edify those around you, particularly the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? One thing that gets in the way of this, one thing that becomes a stumbling block, is knowledge. We know from Paul that knowledge puffs up, but what? But love edifies. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. We see that going on here also in our text. Look at verse 14. So we're going to decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. And then verse 14, I know and persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. That nothing is unclean in itself. And of course the word there is common. Koine, interestingly enough. Uh, nothing's common. Right? So there's the common and there's the holy. Right? There's, the, there's the unclean and then there's the clean. That's the kind of division of, of the holiness. So Paul says, it's all holy. How's it all holy? Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And after six days of creating everything, he looked and behold, he said, it's all evil, don't deal with it. No creational pleasures for you, creation, not at all. God looks at his creation and says, this is all very good. Now, do we live in an unfallen world? No. We live in a fallen world. But we live in a world that's fallen from the place of goodness. And the the seat of sin isn't out there. The seed of sin is in your heart and mine. We're the idolaters. We're the ones who take good things and make them wicked. We're the ones who abuse things, whether Christian freedoms or scruples or anything else. Or here, knowledge. Paul says, I know it. I know in Christ that nothing's unclean of itself. God's made this place. It's good. However, that doesn't mean that the way we use it is necessarily good. And that's what he says here. There's a way to use this. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Now again, this is interesting because I think we're, we're moving back into kind of looking at all of reality and saying so God's made everything and it's good, but certain people do have scruples and they think, I don't know, I can't do that. What Paul's saying is to that person with the scruples, it's not good, they shouldn't do it. So is he engaging here just like his sheer subjectivism? Hey, whatever you think is right, you go and do it. That's your good. Uh, and whatever you think is evil, you don't do it. That's your evil. Just like we have our truth and our pronouns, right? those sort of things. Uh, that's not it. Right? God tells us what's good and what's false, what's wicked and what, what to abjure and avoid. Here we're talking about, again, issues of Christian liberty. And if you're, if you're free in the Lord Jesus Christ to participate in things, he says, give thanks and participate. 
But if you're not that person, they need to hold back. It's just like he ends the chapter, because whatever is not of faith is sin. If you can't faithfully before God say, God, praise you and thank you for this, you think, I don't know, I think this is actually kind of wrong, then it's kind of wrong. It's that simple. Don't do it. Right? Don't, don't, don't give, and, and that's, that's one of the ways in which the, the, the stronger brother here entices and brings in and provides a stumbling block for the weak when they see someone else in Christ, particularly an older brother, say, well, he does it. I guess it's okay then. Even though in their, in their conscience, in their mind, they don't really think it's okay. But they see someone else doing it, and they're led and enticed by that. And I'm convicted deeply myself, and not, not only as a pastor, but as a parent. How, how many ways in which you know, I've laid stumbling blocks or enticements around my own children or other people because they look to me. And I think, I'm just Tim, you know, I'm just a dude, right? Yeah, but you're a father, Tim. You're a pastor, Tim. And those come with responsibilities and realities where you need to think about your words, you need to think about your actions because they lay stumbling blocks and enticements in front of the brothers. And you don't want to destroy for the sake of food or drink that for which Christ died. We need to love each other. We need to be committed purposefully to build one another up. Not saying after the fact, I didn't think about that, I didn't mean to do that. It's easy to do that. It's easy to fall into that trap personally. We must purpose to build one another up. One thing that I think we have a problem with is pleasure. We, we think oftentimes, or a number of us think anyway, that if it feels good, if it's pleasurable, then it kind of must be wrong, right? I mean, God's put us here to suffer, right? So if I'm not suffering but feeling good, or I'm enjoying something, or there's a pleasant feeling or, or disposition, then it starts to hinge on sinful. To the point where I hear plenty of Christians say, oh, that, was, that dessert was so good, it, was, it must have been sinful. I get, I get the turn of the you know, phrase or something fun like that, but it really betrays an anti-Christian reality. It betrays an idea that is deeply opposed to what the Bible absolutely proclaims, which is, in God and at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. Our eternal life will be one of pleasure, enjoying God and enjoying His works, receiving pleasure now, our pleasures can become idols. We can take those things that, we, that please us and that we love, and we can, we can seek the creature instead of the creator. We can seek just the pleasures of a flesh and not realize that we need to mitigate ourselves and walk through this life with wisdom so that we can enter into eternal life where there's unmitigated pleasure in absolute faithfulness. Christian, do you look forward to that? you look forward to being past the struggles? And the trials, and the pain, and the tears, and all the things that your daily life holds. And entering into the pleasure of your Heavenly Father, through Christ Jesus, and by the power of the Spirit, one God eternally blessed. That is the pleasure of God, the salvation of God. But it's not just eternal pleasure that we're thinking about, though we should be thinking about that. But, as, as the text gets to here pretty quickly, the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. There are deeper, more expansive realities of the kingdom of God. And that last one, I think, we'll spend a little bit more time on the end, is joy in the Holy Spirit. That's for now. 
as we struggle, as we go through the trials. Those are gifts for us now with the hope of eternal pleasure, of eternal joy, of sins gone, of full righteous living before God in joy and in thanksgiving. So, Paul knows that creation's good, but he also knows that some people can't quite get that. Some Christians can't quite get that. And we have to bear with them. Right? It's, it's, we got this idea that if I know something's right, that's just the way it is, and if you don't agree, out with you. That's not how it is in the church. When it comes to these things that we call adiaphora, or things that are um, neither commanded nor, nor not commanded in the Christian life. We're free to engage. We're free to abstain. The point is, though, that we would honor the Lord whether we engage or abstain, whether we partake or we do not. So the word knowledge, here, one of the Greek words, kind of a funny word, gnosis is what it is. Um, and we, it's the basic root word for Gnostic, which is spelled Gnostic, as the G in front. But in English, we don't pronounce the, uh, uh, the first letter. It's, the, the pronunciations disappear through the years. Um, interestingly, I don't know if there's any connection, but the same thing goes for our English word knowledge. We don't say knowledge, but we spell it knowledge. Uh, and the same thing for the word in Greek, we say gnosis, or at least they did, uh, though oftentimes we'll say gnosis. Now, gnosis, knowledge, knowing what's going on, having an understanding of the truth of things. Paul says, I know in Christ, and I'm persuaded that nothing's unclean of itself. I know this. Hopefully you knew that too, Christian. Hopefully it's worth knowing that. But that knowledge without love hurts, tears down. Like Paul says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, knowledge puffs up. Right? It makes us think more of ourselves. I know this and I know that. And I got it right and you're all wet. And it gives us pride. And there's all kinds of problems there. But when we have knowledge tempered with, mixed with love, then we got some fuel in the tank. We want knowledge. We don't want ignorance. That's not the, uh, the goal of the Christian life is to be ignorant. Not at all. We want knowledge. We want to understand what God has revealed. We want to understand the world we live in. But Christian. We must do it in love. We must have knowledge in love. We all stumble ourselves in knowledge. That's one of the things that we can stumble having false knowledge or thinking we know something we don't know. Or There's all kinds of ways that we can stumble ourselves when it comes to gnosis or knowledge. But Paul's saying here, we can use knowledge and stumble one another. Because I know something's right, and I know something's right I'm free to do, and therefore I'm going to end up leading you into something that you don't, not so sure you're free to do. Or maybe that you're sure you're not free to do. Yet you're still led along and enticed by a brother in Christ who should be building you up. But instead is stumbling you or enticing you to sin. So again I ask, knowing that knowledge with love builds up. Judge yourselves. Are you purposing? Are you purposing to build up the church of Christ around you? To edify and build up those around you? So gnosis or gnosis builds up, but what's it build up? Love builds up, but what, what does it build up? Well, it doesn't build up eating and drinking. Okay, we'll see that here in the text as well. It says in verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I mean, we all have to eat and drink at some point, or we shuffle off this moral coil, 
we've got to keep body and soul together. But the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. That's the mundane reality in which the kingdom of God grows, in which, in which we receive it from God. Rather, well, and I might even say it's not about eating and drinking these worldly goods or even the pleasures. It's about something much more expansive and deeper than all of that, into which eating and drinking and everything else we do falls. The first thing he brings up is righteousness. The kingdom reality of righteousness. The kingdom of God is about, consists of, has to do with righteousness. Now what righteousness? Christ's righteousness imputed to us? Right, the, the very good works and, and righteous life of Jesus that is counted to us as we believe? Well, Paul deals with that in Romans 3 and 4. It's very important. In fact, it's, it's foundational to everything else we're doing here. If we're not found in Christ, if we're not trusting Jesus Christ, saying, His righteousness is mine. My sins were counted to Him on the cross. His righteousness is counted in me, and I stand before God in Him. Not in myself, but in Christ. If we don't have that, we have nothing. Nothing. Okay, all the rest of this is just learn to live a little better so we can go to hell. Because apart from Jesus Christ and His righteousness, we have no hope. We are lost. But that's not the righteousness that Paul's talking about here. Rather, put it this way, he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. The work of God in us to make us more like Jesus Christ, having rested in Him, having trusted in Jesus, having been justified by faith, we now grow in grace. And that is the righteousness he talks about here. Righteousness that consists of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This righteousness is like a tree. Think of a tree planted by rivers of water with enormous and beautiful fruit coming all off of it. That's what God has for you in your life. But the fruit is righteousness, good works, faithful works unto God, humility, loving others, counting others more important than yourselves. And finally, purposing to edify and build up the body of Christ. That's the beautiful fruit on the tree. Heavy, the, the, the branches weighed down with this good fruit. That fruit is your righteousness to God, which is His gift in you, working in you, which is well-pleasing, that which is well-pleasing to Him. Our God wants a glorious harvest. And if you have fruit trees... You want a good harvest? You want to give good fruit? That you, that's exactly what God what it says at the end of the passage here. It's well-pleasing to God. God is pleased with us when we bear this fruit for Him. The fruit of righteousness in Jesus Christ. So the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. Not even about scotch and cigars and Chesterfield steaks. It's about righteousness. And it's about Peace. Peace. Now, what comes to your mind with the word peace? There should be a Hebrew word that pops right in your mind every time when you read the word peace, which is shalom. Which doesn't really just mean peace like a cessation of, uh, of you know, anxieties or a cessation of fighting. The idea of shalom is peace through wholeness. Through fullness and abundance. Right? Not just a cessation of, of, of fighting. So, the peace of God. Now, is that talking about the peace we have with God? 
Well, Paul mentions that in Romans 5.1, doesn't he? He says, now that we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Oh, what a tremendous peace that is. To stop warring with God. To submit to Him and find that in Christ Jesus, we have peace with Him because we've been justified by the blood of Christ. We're no longer at war with God. But that's not what he's talking about here. Of course, it's based upon that. We can't really have peace with one another for warring against God. Maybe this is simple enough. The way in which we make peace in the body of Christ is by judging ourselves and purposing not to put stumbling blocks in front of others. Doing the very thing that Paul's talking about in this passage. That will make peace in the body of Christ. If we judge others, if we spy out people for their freedoms and say they shouldn't be doing that, and we have problems with them, not because the scripture says not to do it, but because we don't feel very good about it, we're not going to make peace. On the other hand, if in our freedoms we say, I don't care what happens to this guy over here, I'm not even thinking about him. I'm just enjoying my freedoms and loving the Lord. We should love the Lord, but we should love the Lord, of course, by considering those around us. Being purposeful in building up the body of Christ on both sides. That will make peace among us, among the body of Christ. Righteousness, peace, and finally joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy in the Holy Spirit. Do any of you lack joy? Someone's like, yeah, only all the time. And other people say, oh, I have, this, I have kind of a sunny, bubbly disposition. Well, that's not what this is talking about. This isn't talking about the bubbly disposition where a person's just kind of happy and lucky. And that's nice, and we can appreciate those people, and maybe some of you are those people. Uh, and then there's the other side of the ledger where, you know, you sit around like an old Dutchman. It's like, I don't think that guy's got a stitch of joy in him. He probably does. He just doesn't look like it when you're looking at him from the outside, right? There's a whole range of kind of dispositions of people. But that's not this. This is a gift of God. This is something given to you in Christ Jesus. It's not yours. It's a grace. It's given to you. And we might call it contentment or serenity. Being content in the Lord, being serene in the Lord by His Spirit is the joy of the Lord. And that joy is not just for eternity, not just for some time out in the future, though it's there too, to be sure. But that contentment, that serenity we have from God is yours now. Right now. So that works pretty well in good times, Pastor, right? Things are kicking and everything's moving along and everyone's happy and everyone's healthy. Then it's easy to be joyful. True enough. And I'd say, praise the Lord. If you're in a situation where things are going well, praise the Lord. Rejoice in that. Be content and be serene in those times. Give thanks. But give thanks knowing this. It ain't going to last. And we all know that. We've all, we all know that. The good times that make it easy for us to feel good and be content won't last. We'll have bad times. We'll have trials. But you know what? Christian, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord in the trial. Seek joy in the trial. Indeed, our brother James says, count it all joy when you come into various trials. And James, right at the beginning. How do you do that? 
How do you take a bad time? How do you take a tough time? How do you work in a trial as a Christian and still have joy in the Lord? How does that work? Well, Christian, it is because you belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has purchased you by his blood from all of your sins and the judgment of God. How is it that you can be joyful in a trial? How is it, Christian, that you can be joyful in the hard times when it hurts and it won't stop hurting? It is because in Christ Jesus you are loved beyond measure. You can't begin to understand the love of God for you in Christ Jesus. That will give you joy. You are covered. Your sins have been forgiven in Christ Jesus. He died and shed His blood for you. And God raised Him from the dead. Your sins are covered. Be full of joy. Christian, in Christ Jesus, in Jesus Christ, as you trust in Him, as He is your King and your Savior, so indeed He is your older brother. God has brought you, Christian, into His family. Again, you who are far off, estranged from God, enemies with them. He's made friends and brought you into his family. He says, I love you. You're covered. Your sins are forgiven. You're in my family forever. Now, what trial were you talking about? What was that thing? I mean, even in the flesh, Christian, even in the flesh we know this too shall pass. Don't we even have that? But how much more to say we're loved in Christ Jesus? We're covered in the blood. We're redeemed and brought into His family, never to be lost. Always to be found. Always to be loved. And that makes all of our trials take on a different complexion. And add this one to it. We're not semi-Pelagians or Arminians or worse. We know that God has decreed these trials in your life and in my life. They don't come by accident. How do you have joy in a trial? You know something. You know that your Heavenly Father has put this trial into your life specifically because He's going to make you more like Christ. He's going to build you in joy. So, think of it to begin with then. You're in Christ. Your sins are covered. You're in His family. And He's giving you trials. But He's doing it. Your Heavenly Father. And He says, count it all joy. Because... Everything that occurs in your life is God's way of conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. All things must be brought into subservience to your salvation because God has decreed it to be so. There is the basis of joy in the Holy Spirit. Not, again, not just eternally, though that, but right now. Right now in this trial. Right now in this heartache. Right now in this thing that you think you can't handle. It's too much for you, and it is. But it's not too much for the Holy Spirit. We all stumble in many ways. Christian, we all stumble in many, many ways. But we can also often cause each other to stumble. We can stumble ourselves and one another by judging one another from the side of liberty, from the side of scruples, not sure about each other, not trusting the Lord with one another. We can stumble one another in our pleasures, the things that we desire, the things that we like, the things that we crave, and that we seek. We can stumble one another 
and knowledge without love. Knowing that love is the fulfillment of the law as we seek one another. And of course, as we say love is the fulfillment of the law, we mean this, two parts. First is, Jesus Christ is the very love of God fulfilling the law. While we judge one another and we get, we're not sure about the liberties and the scruples of one another, Jesus Christ is the one who took the judgment on the cross. He took the condemnation that we deserve. While we sometimes stumble or stumble one another in our pleasures and how we seek them, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of his Father. And we know that in him are pleasures forevermore. In Jesus Christ are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge and love. So as we seek knowledge, as we seek wisdom, we seek it in Christ. He is the love of God, and in Him, then, we can love one another. The kingdom of God is not concerned with eating and drinking. It subsumes all of that, and something much, much bigger and more important. The kingdom of God consists in righteousness, in peace, in shalom, and finally in joy in the Holy Spirit. And here's where Paul ends this. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Which means God is pleased with Christians who seek to follow him and serve Christ this way. And is tested and approved by men. Men who are like this, which is to say men, women, children, who take on this characteristic of, again, purposefully seeking to edify the body of Christ. Judging oneself, being critical of oneself, so that we can be kind and considerate one to another. Men who are like that, who don't place stumbling blocks in front of their brethren to build them up on purpose, those men please God. And those men are tested and approved by other men. That is what manliness, or just humanness, thinking of it that way, is. A faithful human in their spot does these things, pleasing God and approved by, by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual building up. Christian in Christ Jesus, who's given himself for us freely and fully. Let us love one another. Giving up our liberties if we need to. Pulling our judgments and our, our, our scruples if we need to. Loving one another. Purposing. Being on purpose every day to build up the body of Christ. Never to lay stumbling blocks or hindrances, but to build up the body of Christ in love. To the glory of God. And to the edification and, and benefit of one another. Amen.